Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Eric, and with me is Kiwi. Guten Tag. I don't know hello in Russian. I think it's Spitsiba, but I don't know. Today we're going to be playing Hold Fast, Russia, 1941-42. to Designed by Grant Wiley and Mike Wiley. The artist is Sean Cook, and it was published in 2014 by Worthington Publishing. Sounds like a very professional publishing company. Yeah. On June 22, 1941, the German army attacks Russia in the largest land battle the world will ever know. Millions of soldiers and civilians would lose their lives in a vicious life-or-death struggle that would decide the fate of the Third Reich. The German army came within miles of capturing their main objectives in 1941 and 1942, each time to have victory snatched from them by micromanaging leaders, poor planning, supply shortages, bad weather, and a Russian army that would not quit. Now Worthington Publishing gives you the opportunity to replay this great campaign and perhaps change history. Ba -ba -ba the mechanics are action points and dice rolling. Yep, it's real, real heavy mechanically. And the uh, box art uh, looks like... Um, so those are definitely Soviets, because uh, that's a Soviet uh, assault gun, I guess, machine gun that the two guys in the front are carrying. So it's like Russians wearing, I don't know, like white camouflaged armor. They look like, armor, like full Tyvek suits. <laughs> yeah, they do. And they're like running across like a snowy field or something. I hope this was like a, a real picture. That was. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, it looks very grainy and very. Yeah, it almost looks like, and I don't know if it's like a picture of the time, but the guy on the far, far left looks like. They've like blurred his face out, maybe just to yeah, kind of make it. He looks like ghostly. It's creepy. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Yeah. So would you pull this off a shelf? So this is a weird one for me because I, I think my answer is going to be no, because generally I don't. I, we, we've had weird success or not weird success, but like weird failure, because like we both grew up playing like war games and stuff, Axis and Allies and Warhammer and, and things like that. So like, I don't think we're bothered by you know, the, the models on a map type of game. But when you put it in this historical context, like I'm not sure that I would pick it up and the art really doesn't kind of jump out at me. Um, but it was suggested as a, as a game to, like if somebody doesn't have a lot of board game experience or war game experience, that this is a game that you could introduce to somebody and you could help build up their experience with war games and such. So that's why we're, we're playing it. I'm, I'm using the podcast to test things for work. <laughs> I I kind of agree with you. Like I, I do. Like I mean, I play video games that are are of this this time period and stuff. So right. like I interests me there. I, it's been a long time since I've played like an actual war game. We've played kind of board game, you know, miniatures on maps sort of ones that haven't really been favorites. But those are to me very different than like a Warhammer or an actual like war game. Right. So I don't know. I'm interested to see if I've sort of just moved on from these types of games or if, if like a, a good one will still be interesting. Box art though um, would not have me pulling it off the shelf. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, oh God. How do I think it's played? Yeah. Yeah. How do you think it's played? I at least have to use the map to cheat with this. All right. Oh, so yeah, we are going to have... Uh, a hexagon map as a traditional war game does. Um, so this is going to be a lot less, uh, looks like less warhammery, 
where you're moving like minis around and more like moving on a hex grid, which has been even longer since I've played one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and our mechanics are what? Dice rolling and action Dice points. rolling so and I, action points. I think, and you said this is for kind of beginners. So I'm guessing we're going to have uh, army units and we are going to have a certain amount of action points to move them around. And when they collide with each other, uh, we roll some dice and um, and uh, and see who who gets defeated. And I'm guessing okay. the dice rolling will depend on the unit, um, or it looks like they're full like army groups. So maybe uh, like each one has a certain number of uh, units or whatever, and you get a yeah. x number of dice based on that. It's possible. All right, so the this is set so 1941-1942. We're looking at Operation Barbarossa, which was the code name for the Nazi Germany's attack against um, Soviet Russia. So. Prior to that, Russia and Germany had kind of sided with each other and said, hey, you know, we won't attack each other and we'll kind of work together. Um, and I don't think, it, pretty sure that neither side really trusted each other. But I don't, I think uh, Germany kind of attacked earlier than they probably necessarily wanted to. Uh, and so they started it in June 1941. And the goal was is that they wanted to recreate what they did during World War One, which was do like a fast kind of knockout of Russian forces, lower morale in Russia, and then cause Russia to leave the war. And then they could ultimately focus on the West. Because at this time, they've already taken, Germany has already taken the Czech Republic, Poland, uh, France, Belgium, you know, a lot of Europe, they've, they've already taken over. So they're trying to get what they're calling their, their, their Lebensraum, which is, which is their living space. So there are kind of four phases to the operation. And, and ultimately, over the course of the whole thing, there's about almost 4 million Germans that take part uh, between all the kind of different services. And then with Russia, it's about 2.9 million um, it ended up with uh, Operation Typhoon, which is the very last phase, which was Germany's attempt to make one last big push for Moscow. Again, they still believe so we're almost uh, eight months into Barbarossa. So this is, uh, I believe, October of 1941. And their plan was is that they would do one big final push. They would take Moscow. It would crush Russian uh, morale, and then they would just knock Russia out. Um, they also got some really bad intelligence that basically said, hey, Russia has no reserves. But this whole time, Stalin had been pulling units from the east um, and had brought them over and had like 58 divisions worth. So Germany started their attack in October. The closest they got to Russia, or not Russia, they were already in Russia, but the closest they got to Moscow was about 20 kilometers, which is roughly 12-ish miles. They say they could see the tops of the the, the Kremlin in Moscow. There's actually, uh, even today, there's three kind of uh, Czech hedgehogs, kind of the, you know, the, the top-looking uh, tank uh, obstacles that mark the place where a German reconnaissance unit reached and that's the closest they got to moscow um and then ultimately they spent probably another year or so on the russian front and then ultimately had to continue to fall back um but uh, after operation typhoon uh russia started their giant counteroffensive, and then they just 
kind of continued to roll west. And that was the start of really where Nazi Germany started to decline because of the amount of losses they took in the east and then with Russia continuing their their westbound movement. So that's kind of where we are historically. So uh, we are at the beginning of Operation Barbarossa when this game uh, starts, so June of 1941. All right. I'll just go here. So it might go without saying, but we are playing as the commanders of the German and Russian armies in 1941 and 1942. Uh, we're going to go back and forth, resupplying and activating units and battle it out in Poland, Eastern Russia, until one player is the victor. If the German player ever controls Moscow, Stalingrad, and Leningrad at the same time, they win instantly. If the Russian player ever controls Bucharest and Warsaw simultaneously, they win instantly. Otherwise, each player owns two of these cities, Moscow, Stalingrad, and Leningrad. At the end of the 20th turn uh, is the winner. So each round is structured in the same way, with the German player always going first and then the Russian player. The turn starts with both players determining their resource, resource points. So Germany will always get 16 every round and the Russian player will get 16 points in the in 1941 and then in 1942 that'll go up to 18. Uh, there's four cities on the map that have kind of large red stars with numbers in them. If Germany ever takes those cities, then Russia will cumulatively lose those amount of resource points and it equates to about nine total. So potentially they could go down to... Uh, six to eight or seven to eight resource points um, or seven to nine resource points rather if they lose all four of those cities. So on certain turns, uh, the turn track will tell us that we're going to roll for weather, which will have additional effects on resource points and the German player will roll for that. So at the beginning of each player's turn, the first thing you're going to do is check for any reinforcements gained on the turn tracker. And then next, they can spend resource points to reinforce units currently on the map. So they'll spend one point to increase an infantry unit, two points to increase an armor unit. They can also replace lost units at a cost of two for an infantry unit and three for an armor unit. And replaced units always come in at their lower strength, but you can continue spending points in order to increase that strength. And then obviously, you can never go above their max strength. So an example, an armor unit with a max strength of four is replaced. So that would cost you three resource points. And then in order to increase it to four, you would have to increase it by three times, which would be times two, which would be six resource points. So to bring in a full strength armor unit, it would cost you nine resource points total. All right, next, the player can activate units for movement and combat. So each unit can conduct one movement and one combat per turn. And they can be in whatever order the player wishes. And you can even have other units activate in the middle. So you could move unit A and then attack with unit B and then attack with unit A again if you wanted to. So to move, you're going to spend one resource point per unit. You're going to check to make sure that the unit is in supply. And then if it isn't, you'll subtract one movement point. And then you'll move that unit up to its movement points. Weather will also affect movement. Uh, for combat, you're going to choose a target hex. You'll pay one resource, and all adjacent units can fight the unit in the target hex. Germany also has access to three air missions, which just add two additional dice to the combat, but that's weather-dependent. 
Uh, units will roll a specific number of dice and they'll have a defense value. So infantry are always hit on a five and six and armor is always hit on a six. And if armor is present and you roll a six, the, that hit has to be allocated to armor first. And then the defender gets to roll as well and everything is simultaneously. So hits will come off at the same time. So everybody will always get to roll their full amount of dice for combat. And then finally, once a player has spent all their resource points they wish to, they check to make sure that their units are in supply. So if they're not in supply, they're eliminated. Uh, if it's the German player's turn, then it goes to the Russian player. And if it's the Russian player's turn, then we move on to the next round. So two things to talk about. Uh, you have what's called a zone of control. So each unit creates a zone of control in the hexes adjacent to it. And a zone of control is not, not negated by an opposing zone of control. So if we have two units that aren't next to each other, but the zones overlap, they don't negate. But if I have a unit inside of a zone of control, then it negates just that hex. And then finally, in supply. So if a German unit can trace a line of five hexes to a German-controlled city or the west edge of the map uh, that does not go through a Russian zone of control, they are in supply. If a Russian unit is in a fortified city or can trace a line five hexes to a Russian-controlled city or the east edge of the map that does not go through a German zone of control, they are in supply. So that's how we figure that out. And again, uh, Germany wins if they control Moscow, Stalingrad, or Leningrad uh, all at the same time. Russia wins if they control Bucharest or Warsaw at the same time. And that will also end the game automatically regardless of the turn. Uh, either way, the game uh, ends at the end of the 20th turn with the winner going to whoever controls two of the three cities, Moscow, Stalingrad, or Leningrad. Um, and those are pretty much the main rules. All right. Uh, let's war. We just finished a game of Hold Fast Russia 1941-42. To recap, uh, Kiwi playing Germany tried some uh, special forces bullshit uh, <laughs> and also held Leningrad for about a year, uh, but in, in true to history, never got close to Moscow, and I don't even think you saw Stalingrad. <laughs> nah, I got no work. Yeah. Well... Technically, I got I got I think I got closer to Stalingrad than I did to Moscow, but <laughs> um, <laughs> not for very long. And then playing as Russia, I held on to Moscow, Stalingrad, and was about to retake Leningrad. Yep. Yeah. We we ended early because we realized there was no way for me to win, uh, so we 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 called it there. Um. Yeah. So I guess winning strategy was um, just shipping people to the front line <laughs> uh i didn't i think leningrad kind of caught me off guard how like quickly you could move yeah and how well, not that... defensible the towns were even though you, you get three dice but it's not that many in the long run yeah and that, like i knew leningrad was the closest one so that's the one i pushed for super fast because it was only like, I don't know, maybe three or four turns away to move. And and I needed some good combat and I got some good rolls in the beginning. Yep. Um, and I think I think by the end, the like your rolls got slightly better, but then yeah. all of my rolls got bad. <laughs> Mine were pretty atrocious so, the whole game. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so I tried that. And then I thought about pushing south from Leningrad to Moscow, but I realized that since I didn't push any of my southern flank, I opened up a huge gap. So I once I took Leningrad, I had to start pushing the southern flank. And I, I think that forced me to put my resources kind of in too many places. And you were able to concentrate really in one spot. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of whittled me down because I, I couldn't spread across my whole front. And you were able to focus in one space because you just had by the end, you had more units than I did. Yeah. And so, and I think a big thing was I could throw in a bunch of, I called them the roadblocks where it was just like the conscripts. Like I didn't bother to like get, they were just at the one health base, one hit point. Cause it was like, well, yeah. if you attack, you tend to go like over overpowering force. So there's no reason to have two hit points. So I just left them low and then just kept throwing them back out there. And so at least slow you down. So you had to like stop and attack, like move. You couldn't move as far as you could potentially could have. Yeah. Um, and so I just kept doing that and trying to slow you down in certain areas while I actually put like if you looked at my board, it was like all of my good units were all pretty much uh, like at this start. They were all up north fighting. And then towards the end, they moved down south. So, like, yeah, and I just wrote put the roadblocks up everywhere else. Uh, what did you think of the theme? Did you feel like um, a, a German commander in 40? too so this like i mean thematically like i i we could have probably it, it's it's a war game it's a block war game right so we probably could have been anything did i feel like a commander uh i mean i'm a, a little bit I, I think what's interesting is specifically for games like this is um you know because of work i've had to do a lot of reading about war gaming in general and like the different ways that people use it and, and one of the ways that i've heard of people using it is like uh learning through gaming and so using a game like this to kind of teach you could sit there and talk about like oh it was very hard for germany because of the long lines of communication the long supply lines uh the weather caught them off guard and i i think you you get the feeling of that in this game because you know it we were kind of helping each other a little bit with the, hey, you probably don't want to move there because you'll be out of supply yeah, and you lose your unit. We'll get to its mechanics, but there was too much to remember without additional components to help you keep track of stuff. But yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I think thematically, like the way the rules played out, you can you you could see like why it was so difficult for Germany, even though it's you know much more abstract than what the german military was actually dealing with but um I, I think it really does feed into the the uh you know learning through gaming type of mentality so i, I thought the theme like they, they fit it well and i felt like the rules played into like what they were trying to to model or simulate in real life yeah um i think they really nailed the theme of the notoriously mild and pleasant russian winters <laughs> yeah the rules kind of it was definitely like clear skies every bad. day yeah yeah I, I mean obviously that could have changed and that's more a mechanical thing but um i think i mean l less like the teaching game side but as like a f making it i think it was held back by like trying to tie it to historical events yeah like i think trying to do things that made sense for you know this historical war maybe they made choices in the game that you wouldn't have made otherwise. Um, 
And, and I think that's kind of the trade-off in this. You know, one of the other things I've read is, is a guy who, you know, he is a, a, a history teacher and he, he teaches, you know, historical, um, he, he focuses kind of on historical warfare. And, and one of the things he found in, in like trying to make war games to be a little bit more interactive and hands-on with the students was, you know, there were times where he questioned like, you know, why did it take this mill this army so long to get around here? You know, I'm looking at this map and there's no reason for him to go this direction uh, because the way is clear. But then when he found historical maps of the area, he figured out like, Oh, at the time of this battle, there was a giant forest here. Yeah. So like, he's also using war games, not just to teach history, but like, also kind of tease out some things that we might not have thought of or you know if you look at a modern map and of a battlefield that was fought 10,000 years ago or a thousand years ago you're not getting the same picture as you would today as you would then so, so you kind of like learn things that you might not have realized there's also so. a quality of maps like maps weren't terribly accurate for a lot of history <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was Napoleon that started like actually paying and having maps done. And when he started doing that, uh, wargaming actually became more prevalent uh, because before that, it was a lot more abstract and it was definitely at the higher levels of uh, society. You know, the people who could afford the downtime to sit and play games like that. And it wasn't played with like more common people. And then once they got into like paper maps and being able to reproduce them, they actually started making games where like, you know, the maps were to scale and then they were actually creating blocks that were to scale for, you know, if, if I have a certain size unit, it covers this much frontage so I can make a block that's this size. And that's how they were playing war games. And Napoleon used that a bunch when he started his campaign. So like war games have been used for a really long time and you can see kind of different advents in like real life, you know, maps and, and other things kind of changed um, how we war game and it, it made it more prevalent. But looking from just purely as a game perspective, like I think the idea of, okay, you're Russia's kind of getting rolled at the beginning and then Germany gets held up and stagnant as a historically accurate doesn't necessarily make for a great game though. Yeah. It, I think this case takes definitely a, a certain kind of person to want to play this more than once. Um, table presence, uh, uh bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, for if you're like comparing it to a like a modern board game, hobby board game, it's just it's blocks on a hex grid. Uh, yep. No, not really much art to catch your attention. Blocks are boring. Pretty much what if I said a, a what you'd expect of a, a war game to look like, like literally probably picturing Napoleon with blocks of wood is about what it captured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then. Uh, I mean, it's kind of going into components. Like I said, there was a lot to remember. And I guess that could be part of the game compared to, again, hobby games. Like I would expect more things to help me keep track of of what's going on on the board, I guess. Uh, like it was yeah. hard to, uh, you know, I had to calculate out how many points I had, how many points I would need towards the end. So how many I would could spend at the beginning. I kind of felt like I needed a spreadsheet at some points. <laughs> I kept forgetting and then I screwed up and I was like, eh, I'm just going to go back and change it. 
I mean, uh, so in my research of the game, you know, there were some suggestions about like, you know, just just add cubes and you can use those to mark cities and, uh, you know, people making like little 3D printable uh, markers that you could then place on units or people suggesting like, oh, you know, when you when you move a unit, rotate it this way, when you <laughs> fight with it, like lay it down. And so like there's all kinds of suggestions on like <clears throat> how to how to like mark better like what's moved and what's attacked yeah um so i'm definitely have to take some of those and to like figure out how to teach that and get it going uh for this syllabus that i'm making yeah which i mean but yeah i think for what you always say is like if you don't have everything you need to play the game in the box then yeah you know. uh, what is it that they say it's the it's the it's the christmas day effect yep exactly Like if you can't open the box and play the game immediately on christmas like you lose some stuff there um but i, I think the way this company kind of makes their games you know they're not i don't want to say they're not going for quality but you know there's there's things there where they sort of make the assumption that the type of people that are going to purchase and play this game are already going to have the things to help them play the game yeah, better. They'll just go to the war game closet and pull out all their Yeah, yeah. exactly. They'll be like, but, "Oh, I, I need, you know, this this and this." But like, "I already have all of that." Right. But I'm going to I'm going to compare this to, you know, our standard games we which, which I think discuss. is very fair. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mechanics? Um, so I don't think there was anything overly crazy or different. Um, I think, have you ever played a game like block style game like this before? Yes. I probably okay. can't tell you the name of it, but, um, and maybe some yeah. video game versions that were essentially yep. the same. I, I, I don't think, and I, I think all the mechanics in the game, like we've probably played some element of that mechanic and I don't think it did anything like overly crazy or nuts to make me go, wow, look at that. Um, I, I did feel like the mechanics worked for what they were probably trying to do and recreate with the game. Um, but yeah, it's, so going back to like kind of what you brought up before about, you know, they made, they made decisions because it was historically based like that really comes into like what what are you and this is kind of a discussion that we have about war games at work all the time is like what is your end goal with this game uh and and what are you what are you trying to get from the students or the you know we call them the training audience but you know what are you trying to get from the training audience and like that is a giant factor in in how you design and what you put into the game um because a lot of people, you know, when they complain, when, when you talk about the game, you say like, well, what would you change? And they'd be like, well, I would make it more fair. And then you can go into the discussion about, well, why do you think the designer made it, you know, what you say is sure. not fair. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting discussion and it, it creates kind of a, an, in, an interesting dynamic between uh, balanced gameplay what some might argue is good gameplay and historical accuracy in order to, you know, I, I think get to the learning objectives that you're trying to get to with the game. That's not just historical. You look at Root or other asymmetric games and you see sure, similar yeah. arguments. So I have a question. So it seemed like the only real way to take out units was to like overwhelming force. Like you kind of had to surround them on three to four hexes or in your case three hexes in the Luftwaffe maybe would give you enough firepower to actually yeah. kill a unit do you think that was intentional or just sort of 
the way Honestly, it was because it felt I, very compared to what I expected. Like taking out units was incredibly difficult, especially without being able to use like the airplanes. Yeah. So, so what I'll say is, is I think that is historically accurate in the amount of force you needed in order to take out a unit like that. Generally, when the military plans, uh, we are always striving for at least a three to one ratio if we're going to go on the offensive. So we want to have three times as much as whoever we're fighting. And that is our, that's what we plan to, or what we try to do. So the fact that, that if you wanted like good results and it really depended on, on die rolls and stuff, but if you wanted good results, you really needed to attack with at least three and, and you're right with Germany, you could, you could sometimes go down to two and throw in the Luftwaffe as well. Um, And if you were fighting the, the basically the conscripts if it got a little harder yeah. when i got better units but yeah um, for sure all right uh and then other than that mechanics is so much dice rolling i wish they had maybe some of the dice mitigation things that other board games do because <laughs> it was very uh very dice dice rolly yeah and, and it's pretty normal for a war game but yeah exactly and and i think you, there are different routes that you could go to. So the game in the syllabus that we're playing before this, uh, you add up all the power for the units that are attacking. You divide it by the power of the unit you are attacking. And that ratio takes you to a chart. And then it's a single D6 roll. Yeah. And then that is your result. So you're still trying to get that overwhelming odds because you're, you know, if you have six to one odds you have a better chart to roll on than if you have like one-to-one odds. So there are different ways that you could definitely do it. So Yeah, I would like, I think I'd prefer that. Rules, uh, it was pretty easy to learn, I think. Other than, like I said, the it's less rules and more just the admin side of things, trying to keep track of all the things in your turn. But um, otherwise, it was pretty easy to understand. Supply was probably the trickiest thing to keep track of. But uh, and then movement. I guess there were a lot of like little finicky. It wasn't hard to learn, but there was a lot of stuff to take into account, which is why yeah, I feel we like were this helping is, each other out. Yeah, I feel like this is definitely one of those games where like the rules are not hard, but when you add them all together, there's a level of difficulty there that kind of increases. And then when you add on top of that, like trying to accomplish very specific goals, it increases the complexity a little bit beyond just you know, a simple rule set and the rule book overall, overall was, was laid out. Well, um, it, it was easy to find stuff. Uh, I think the only thing we had to look up was, well, I mean, we were always referencing the chart, although I think by the time we got to like turn six or seven, I feel like we were doing the, like figuring out how many dice to roll pretty quickly. Uh, cause it's a relatively simple chart. And that the only other thing we had to look up was did Helsinki count as a, city for in supply and it very specifically said yes so and it was easy to find so um i mean player interaction is trying to figure out yeah it's two player you're fighting each other (laughs) uh you're trying to guess what they're gonna do you're watching what they're doing you're wondering what that little special forces guy is doing down south i was was really hoping you didn't notice (laughs) i didn't for a little bit but then i also didn't care (laughs) um yeah so it's I mean, it's as interactive as a war game can, is. So. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, would you play it again? Um, I I didn't dislike it. I think it will work with what I need to do at work. So 
I, I'm going to say yes, just because I will be playing it again <laughs> at work. So, um, but I don't think I, I, I didn't hate it and I liked aspects of it. I think it's a good choice for the syllabus I'm trying to do yeah. uh, to teach other people how to play. Would you I think play it, will, it if you weren't getting paid for it? I think yes. <laughs> I, I, I would need the right kind of person to play. I, see, I generally don't play war games like these types of war games just because of and this is going to sound bad, but like the types of people who sometimes like to play these type of war games are not necessarily the people the, that I like Yokohama to guys. play games with. Yeah, they're Yokohama guys. And and there's obviously a lot of exceptions to that rule, but um, I, I feel like so I, I can guarantee at work that this will not fit in the timeline that I need to. <laughs> but there are there are, because I, there are people at work who will take too long to make decisions uh, so I think I will see I, I will see tables that will probably get three quarters of the way through the game, and I will probably see tables that will get a third of the way through the game. Um, but I think it will meet my learning objectives either way, which I think is the important part. So I, I think I will still go with yes, um, with caveats, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm no. I think obviously <laughs> I'm yeah. going to pick something a bit more modern even if i was to want to do a war game like give me a warhammer with some crazy stuff and interesting models and things like that yeah um, for sure other than that i mean too too much randomness with the rolling um and then it was w- way too long uh for the mechanics it has like you know about an hour in i was like okay i got this game down <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I, I agree with that. So, yeah. I just, I mean, it was a, a four hour game. Yep. Yeah. I think it took us about four hours and 15. I think a little bit of that was learning in the beginning. A little bit of that was Vassal. Uh, but I think a lot of it was just, yeah. It, there were a lot it's of a turns. Long game. It's a lot. Of, yeah. Yep. It's, yeah. It could have been cut down to about a year, I guess. But I mean, it, that's the problem is they're locked into the historical kind of aspect. Yep. Uh, and like I said, like at work, I'm stuck into a three hour time period. And part of that is also teaching. So I guarantee I will not get all the way through. Yep. So, yep. Yep. but I'm, I'm okay with that because the turns go, uh, you're, you know, they're all, your objective all the is also the same. to teach. Yeah. I your objective, objective is to teach, yep. teach some base mechanics for wargaming. And I think, like I said, about an hour in, you, you kind of grasp all of that. Um, then it's just sort of playing it out. So yeah. I think you'll yeah. accomplish so I, I your goal. It, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it meets, it meets my learning objectives. Let's just say that. All right. Uh, that was hold fast Russia, 1941 to 42. All right. So if you have any recommendations of games, you'd like to hear our impressions on, please send them our way. You can do it via email at first turn tabletop at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at first turn cast and the podcasting cable seat. I can't, I'm not going to put them in a terrible situation because based on this game, there are way too many terrible situations. Based on this game, he is just out in, on the sunny Russian or yeah, sunny Russian coast, just uh, enjoying the clear skies and, uh, and glorious weather. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to, yeah. So please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. We look forward to hearing from you. Play more games.